Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure today to have as our special guest Dr. Cormos and one of his former patients, Erica Haas. I remind our listeners that Dr. Cormos previously appeared on Regenerative Medicine Today in October of 2006. That is podcast number 19 for your reference. And it is a pleasure to have Dr. Cormos back today. Dr. Cormos, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. Uh, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Dr. Cormos is responsible for the Artificial Heart Program and Heart Transplantation here in Pittsburgh at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And his guest today is Erica Haas, as I mentioned, who was treated by Dr. Cormos six years ago. Dr. Cormos, perhaps you can briefly introduce the nature of Erica's problem at the time she came to see you and how you treated her, which at the time was a very innovative procedure. This is not an unusual presentation for uh, young female patients in particular, which is to come to hospital with a very sudden onset of severe congestive heart failure with very little past history. In Erica's case, she really presented to us in cardiogenic shock, which means the heart was unable to pump blood to the organs of her body. After a very short period of time, I believe about two weeks of a viral-like syndrome, a flu-like illness essentially, that then progressed to severe shock with uh, damage to her liver and kidneys. She um, was admitted and the cardiologists uh, tried to stabilize her heart as much as possible, but very quickly it was obvious to us that not only was her heart function poor, but that her organs, including liver, kidney, and even the muscles of her body in her legs were showing signs of very poor perfusion. So at the time we felt that this most likely was a viral syndrome and that what we needed to do was support her heart. And we did that through the utilization of two blood pumps. These pumps are Thoratec percutaneous blood pumps. And we used one for the left side of the heart and a second one for the right side of the heart. Both sides of the heart were so damaged by the process that she had that neither was functioning adequately to support her life. We went through a very risky operation at the time because patients like her who show this type of failure are very susceptible to complications following any type of surgery, let alone major restorative surgery such as two blood pumps. She went through that procedure well, but actually suffered some major complications after surgery, including very poor blood flow to one of her legs that required actually plastic surgeries intervention to keep that leg from dying. And it just gives you some idea of the extent of her illness and how fragile her life was at the time she came to us. So this is really a fascinating story, Dr. Cormos, and you just described to us a very severe set of conditions that a young person who had not reached her 30th birthday was suffering from, and where you used a very unique and innovative protocol. Uh, Erica, I'd like to welcome you to Regenerative Medicine today as well. Hello, thank you for having me here. Can you, from your perspective, just share your observations or what you recall when you had these health problems and you came to the hospital? Six years ago, I thought I had bronchitis. Turned out 
through traveling through different of the UPMC clinics that it was much more than that and ended up in Presbyterian Hospital while I unconsciously met Dr. Cormos and the situation with my heart and they implanted the left and right ventricular assist device. So as I understand from Dr. Cormos, your particular affliction was that you had a cardiac virus. Correct. And because of this virus, your ejection fraction was very low. As a result, you were not expected to survive without a heart transplant or unless the proposed therapy was successful. Correct. The way that it was explained to me when I, finally when I was able to understand Dr. Cormos explaining the bridge to transplant, I was first told that I would likely be receiving a heart transplant and it went from there. So just to synopsize for our listeners, you had a defective heart because of a virus and Dr. Cormos and his team elected to implant two ventricular assist devices with the initial strategy that you would be a candidate for a heart transplant. But Dr. Cormos and his team learned that they could give your sick heart rest and your heart was able to regenerate. Ultimately, they were able to take you off of the ventricular assist devices and also take you off the heart transplant list. Correct. And how long were you on the ventricular assist devices? I would say four months. I believe it was four to five months. Um, I had a complication with my leg when all of this happened, which I'm bed bound, so I was not able to recover as quickly as some of the other patients. The bottom line is that you did recover, and you are certainly a healthy, vibrant individual who has a very active lifestyle and a very active professional career at this point. Absolutely, yes. In addition to your professional activities, are you a jogger? I go to the gym, so okay, the right. only jogging would be on a treadmill, <laughs> but okay, right. as much as I can. Dr. Cormos, it has been six years since Erica was treated by you and your clinical team. I believe that this multidisciplinary team that you lead certainly can be credited with pioneering the use of these emerging technologies. I might comment that these heart pumps that you made reference to are typically used by you and your colleagues as bridges to a heart transplant. In this particular case, they served as a bridge to recovery of the native heart. Prior to Erica's presentation with her illness, we had had uh, probably about eight or ten other patients like her that had presented over the years with similar pictures of a very, very advanced form of congestive heart failure that it, for all intents and purposes had as its only solution a cardiac transplant. The one remarkable thing we learned with the use of heart pumps in these circumstances is that in rare cases, the heart, because of itself being supported on one of these pumps, actually has the ability to recover its function. Part of this is because of the disease process, and we know that in many cases, the heart being very unique, because not only does it support the body, but must support itself, that when it's in shock and can't support itself, it will die. But in certain circumstances, if you can keep that heart living, and therefore the patient living, long enough for the process to run its course, and in Erica's case, it was most likely a virus, but once that runs its course, the heart has the ability to heal itself over a period of time. This type of strategy of 
allowing a heart to recover on a heart assist pump has now been fruitful in over 22 or 23 cases here. And in most cases, they tend to be younger patients, patients with a short history of heart failure, in one where the heart hasn't had heart failure for a long time where it has become grossly distended. So we know when we see a patient like that now, that's always our first strategy is can the heart recover and we give it some time to do that. In Erica's case, it appeared that she needed about three months of support. By two months, we be, if we begin to see the heart recover and we have a certain protocol that we put patients through where we turn the flow down of the pump and see how much the native heart can contract and work on its own, then we know at about two months we're heading down the right track. And then we, we aggressively treat the patient with a complex protocol of exercise, rehabilitation, and heart failure medicine to try then to maximize that recovery benefit. This, of course, does get to the point that you mentioned, that it is a fairly complex and comprehensive team that we work with. And getting a patient such as Erica to come through this process of healing requires a considerable amount of support from those around her. And in her case, the family was extremely supportive, but also support from the nurses, the engineers, and other physicians in rehabilitative medicine that work closely with us to maximize, again, the recovery. Recovery, therefore, is not just the heart or just the end organs, but it really is the total body and, and the ability of that person to function as a normal, again, normal human being again. This is really a fascinating outcome because while many recognize that certain organs had regenerative capabilities, and the liver is most widely recognized from that perspective, before you had these findings and these very successful outcomes, I was aware that the heart had regenerative capabilities as well. Well, you know, it's interesting because now that people have studied this ability of the heart to recover and, in fact, have looked at the potential for such therapies as uh, stem cell therapy, we do know that the heart contains its own population of stem cells. And we know that in certain circumstances, if the heart hasn't become too damaged, it's probably those cells that mobilize within the heart and allow itself to recover. And you're right, this was not something that was that well recognized because most of our attentions were focused on patients with acute heart attacks where the oxygen supply has diminished to the heart because of an occluded coronary artery. In that case, very little repair or recovery can occur. Well, thank you, Dr. Cormos. We appreciate you sharing your insights from a medical perspective in terms of this case and cases like it that are characterized as bridges to recovery. So, Erica, you spent four months on ventricular assist devices. I might ask if all the time was in the hospital or were you able to be discharged? Uh, most of the time was in the hospital due to the complication of my leg, but some of the time I spent in the family house on the portable VAD device, and that was very scary because you had to always have the extra battery pack and the hand pumps just in case anything should take place. And my dad was my primary caregiver at the time and was always paranoid I was going to fall and break the, the vat. It was out of glass. But once after I had them out, it was very 
strange, hard transition because they shake your body and they're warm. And four to six months of having that machine working for you and then it's gone all of a sudden, it was very, very weird and very bizarre. <laughs> I might ask Dr. Cormos, in six years, I presume that there have been some major advances in ventricular assist device technology as well. Uh, Dr. Cormos, perhaps you can give us a brief overview of how that technology has improved and matured in that time interval. I think that uh, the advances in mechanical support of the heart have really occurred down two parallel paths. One is in the technology itself. And to, in that regard, what we've seen is a gradual conversion from the use of pumps which produce a pulse, so pulsatile devices, to ones that are far more compact and more miniaturized that are called rotary pumps because the way they generate blood flow is through an impeller system, much like a turbine pump or a, a jet engine. These devices inherently do not produce a pulse, which is an interesting phenomenon for those looking after these patients because it's, it's almost impossible to detect a pulse in these patients. But in fact, if you were to look at them closely, they do have a pulse because they magnify even the smallest amount of contraction of the heart. So the perfusion to the body is virtually the same as if they'd had a pulse. But the benefit of using these smaller rotary blood pumps has been enormous because the surgery required to place these devices is far less, so not as long, less invasive. Therefore, the complication rates that we see with these devices in terms of bleeding and infection and other complications are drastically reduced. And that makes these devices uh, far more entertaining for people to use, uh, such as cardiologists who are looking for solutions for their patients' illnesses. And so they're more willing to refer patients now than they had in the past when they, we were using the more clumsy and large pulsatile devices. So the technology has evolved. The second parallel path of change has occurred in the utilization of the device. And now we have far more intelligent algorithms for choosing patients for support. The patients who have heart failure get these devices much earlier in the process of heart failure than they're ever used to, and therefore the results again are getting better. So again, through better utilization and better technology, I think we're seeing results that are encouraging and will provide a much better solution for the end-stage heart failure patient that we see very often. Erica, I am under the impression that you have fully recovered and have an active and healthy lifestyle. Can you give us a brief synopsis of your current uh, activities? I pretty much picked up where I left off. Everything went back to normal. And that was also a part of healing. I try to get to the gym more times than I should, but I do attend the gym to walk on the treadmill, uh, use the elliptical, I go swimming. I'm a licensed funeral director and embalmer in Dubois, Pennsylvania, and have no restrictions there. So Dr. Cormos, it is noteworthy that you have treated many, many patients with artificial heart devices. Is there some way to characterize the extent of this in terms of patient years on artificial heart pumps? 
Yes, John, I, I think that, uh, first of all, I think it, it's, it's important to understand that the utilization of these devices has grown dramatically from maybe a 10 to 12 numbers of devices a year to a point where last year we did close to 50. So by sheer numbers per year, by that measure, we're doing a lot more than we ever had. I believe that this year we did our 550th device since 1985 when we began this program. And in terms of patient years, that's well over 100 patient years of experience for the team that has worked together uh, on this venture. I think that this is very commendable. So congratulations to you and all of your team for what you have done in advancing the state of the art and enhancing patient care. As we conclude this podcast, I'd like to say thanks to Dr. Cormos for joining us again, to Erica for sharing her experience and her really successful outcome. I will post on the podcast website the contact information for Dr. Cormos if you or any of your family has an interest in seeking his expertise. Again, as we conclude this podcast, I'd like to say thanks to the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine for sponsoring this podcast series. And I welcome suggestions in terms of topics that can be asked. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Again, thank you for listening, and I look forward to you joining us in another two weeks for another interesting interview. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.